The following message is brought to you by Morgan Hill Bible Church. For all things MHBC, connect with us on social media and check us out online at mhbible.org. I am a very curious person by nature. Now, sometimes that can be a very beautiful thing, and other times that can be a great curse. Like if I'm in a conversation with someone, I can hear some things that maybe they didn't notice before and some beauty comes out of it. There's other times when I get fixated on things that I often lose sight on everything else that takes place. Now, I know myself well enough that if I was attending Morgan Hill Bible Church and I wasn't on staff staff here, at some point I would be fixated on these two curtains and wondering what in the world was back there that they had to hide them and put these curtains in front of them. And I would get so lost in it. Now, if you have that curse or blessing, whatever you want to look at, like me, today's your lucky day. I'm going to tell you about it. Behind this curtain is a bunch of tech and band things. And because I tend to accidentally break things, I'm not going to go back there because I don't want to get in trouble. So I'm going to go show you this one more uh, because I think these ones are more fun and more cool. But uh, one of the things that we love doing here on our campus is providing spaces for ministries to reach people in our congregation and in our community. And, and most of the stuff in this space right now, in this corner, has to do with uh, an event called our Preschool Playdates. And it's something that one of our former directors put together. And then um, we still do it. And it's a space for little kids, maybe me, um, to come and play um, with these fun toys and things. And the uh, reason we created this space and the one over there is because the stuff that's behind them are valuable and important. But we have a small campus. And so we needed to put them into a place that would be then easily accessible. Over the last few weeks, we've been doing this series entitled Explore God. And in many ways, we've kind of pulled back the curtain on some of the big questions of faith and life that don't always get put into a sermon, but they're still valuable and important to talk about. Some of them are fun and exciting, and others are like that guy hanging up over there. You all noticed it the moment I unveiled that curtain. But like many of us, we try to ignore it. Those, those skeletons in the closet that were just really uncomfortable, you want to constantly hide, but the scriptures actually want us to unveil them. God's not afraid of the skeletons in his closet. He actually wants us to address them and look upon them. And today is one of those days where we're going to be talking about one of the skeletons in the closet that tends to actually cause more people to walk away from faith than anything else. It's the question of pain and suffering. Now, I vividly remember the first time that question was presented to me. I was in the sixth grade, and at the time, my best friend said some pretty horrific and untrue things about me. And literally overnight, I had lost all of my friends in my community. And that question was slowly starting to bubble in the back of my mind, how could this happen? But it was planted right in the front of my mind two months later after that event when I was assaulted. And I can only think to myself, how could a good and loving God allow that to happen? And because of that event, I actually walked away from the Lord for, for many years because I could not come to terms with this. How could a good and loving and gracious Father, God, as I've learned up to this point, allow this type of evil to take place? And as I, and I spent that in time in those years, the more I would ask that question as I saw the you know, Twin Towers collapse, or when I learned more about the suffering my grandma, who's sitting actually right here, and her parents went as Jews 
who survived the Holocaust. Thinking to myself once again, over and over again, how could suffering like this take place? But then when I was 18 years old, I had a radical encounter with Jesus. And he became so real to me that I could not deny him anymore. But then that question still remained. And it became the skeleton that I wanted to finally figure out how to answer. And for the last decade, I've spent many years, uh, many months studying the topic. And in this time, I've been very grateful for people like John and Addison Levere, or Ryan uh, Butler, or Timothy Keller, John Mark Comer, Pete Gregg, and the wisdom they've shared along the topic. If you got to pick one of these people to look at on this topic, I would encourage you to look up the three books that Pete Gregg has written. It's been one of the most impactful things I've ever read because he has gone through some of the greatest pains of life and the ways that he has seen God work in the midst of it and how he's helped shape my understanding has been so just beautiful for me. And I would encourage you if you get those opportunities to do so. But that's being said, we get to talk about pain and suffering. So lucky us. Um, so if you have your Bibles, you can open them up to John chapter nine. And as we're doing so, because I've been here in a while, I was on sabbatical, so you might've forgotten. I have dyslexia, which means that there are times when I want to say the right word, but I don't. So give me grace in that. And the second thing I would just say is uh, bear with me. We got a lot of reading to do. And I know you might wanna fall asleep, but just hold on, I promise. We'll get through it. Um, it says this in John uh, 9.1. As he, Jesus, passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned that this man, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, if it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. And then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said, go and wash in the pool of seum, which means scent. And so he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? And he answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siliam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where, where is he? And he says, I don't know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. And so the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. And so they again uh, so I said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parent of the man who had received his sight and asked him, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he see? And his parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees, we do not know nor do we know who has opened his eyes. Ask him. 
He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, this, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. And he answered him, whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know though, I was blind and now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? And how did he open your eyes? He answers them, I have told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are a disciple of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why this is an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from. And yet he opened his eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is to worship, is a worshiper of God, he does his will. God listens to him. Never since the world began has there been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin. Who would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? And he answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe? And Jesus said, you have seen him. And it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe and worshiped him. I recently saw a video of a woman who is sitting at the edge of an ocean cliff. It's kind of like this little um, like inlet. And she's filming like all of us would do. Like when we see something beautiful, instead of actually looking at it, we pull out our phones and go, <gasps> right? And as she's doing this, you hear this little voice say, I wonder what would happen if someone pushed that lady off the cliff, I bet she would make a big splash. And the mother goes, that's an intrusive thought. You shouldn't say that. And the little girl then says, why? If you've ever had a little kid, my guess is you probably know exactly what it feels like to be around someone who says something and you're like, oh, did they just say that? No, they could not have done that. But let's be honest, we've all done that once or twice, right? Okay, maybe it's just me. All right, there we go. You've all done it too. I can only imagine on some level that this is how Jesus felt when he heard his disciples in verse two say, hey, Jesus, why is that man blind? Is it because he sinned or because his parents sinned? Now, before we get too harsh on the, on the disciples, we need to understand something. In this time frame, suffering, any reason why you experienced pain was because of sin. Either the sin you have done the sin that you might do, or the sin that your family has done. But what the disciples are asking in this moment, it's the same thing that you and I have asked. Why? Why is there suffering? Why is there pain? You know what? What Jesus does here is beautiful and difficult. Because what he does here is he simply says, it's not because of his sin or his parents' sin, but rather that he would be glorified. So what he does here is he says, I'm not gonna tell you why. I'm gonna tell you rather what I'm gonna do. And what we, you and I need to understand is this suffering often goes unexplained. 
Suffering often will go unexplained. And too often in your life, especially if you're someone like me who fixates on whys, we get caught up trying to understand why we are in a situation instead of what Jesus is longing for us to do, which is to see where he is going and what he's going to do of it. But that doesn't mean there isn't reasons for suffering. The Bible actually categorizes suffering into three areas, and we're gonna spend most of our time looking at those. The first one is this, it's God's world. In the opening passages of scripture, literally the first, first words we are told that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters and God said, let there be. The Hebrew writers here are, are trying to describe what we would now call a black hole. God, that God enters into this dark, chaotic space that is undefined. And when he is there, he speaks. And those words demanded action. And the rest of Genesis chapter one, it fills out of God's words saying, let there be, and for, something was formated. And it was created into perfection. And in that creation, he has law and order, right? He has rules and regulations. We recognize one of them. What happens when I do this? Gravity, right? This is a, a reality of our world that gravity is in place. And I don't know about you guys, but I have experienced some pain and suffering when it comes to gravity. Take a look. Oh! That was the last time I skated in a cement half pipe because it hurt so much and I had a bruise for sure from that fall. But the reality is that some of the pain and suffering that you and I will face in our life is simply because of the world that God has created and the laws and regulations that were there from the start of time. And now we can see that on a small scale, but how much more do we see on a larger scale? What happens when two tectonic plates rub against one another? creates an earthquake. And what happens when an earthquake? There's some devastation. Maybe some of you remember the 89 earthquake that was here, but if you haven't, you can look at devastation because earthquakes are still happening throughout our world. And we've seen the pain and suffering that causes because of the brokenness of our world when it goes outside of what it was normally do. Right? What happens when hot water and cold water mix in the ocean? It creates a massive storm. What happens when hot air and cold air mix? It creates a massive storm. We can see the reality of pain and suffering because of the laws of this world. On another level, when you eat something that's gone spoiled, what happens? You get sick. When you rub up against something you're allergic to, what happens? You experience suffering and pain. And so one of the reasons why we experience pain and suffering in our lives is because of God's world. And it was created with, with specific types of, 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 of order and things go out of order. We experience some of the hardship of that. The second one is God's will. Now this is broken into two categories in scripture. The first one is human sin, when, when humanity goes against his will. In chapter two, so after he's created everything, we are told this in verse 15, that the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day, in that day, you will surely die. 
And so here we see that God has created a, a ways in which humanity is supposed to govern and to live. And, the, and what that looks like is to trust him and to worship him. But if for us to authentically trust and to worship something, we have to have the ability not to. Right? We have the ability to say, no, I don't trust you. I don't want to love you. I don't want to worship you. Because if someone put a gun to your head and says, do you love me? What are you going to say? Yes, because you love your life. And so he had to put something in that space to allow you to choose not to trust him. And so as man, and it says, so later on, it says that God looks upon man. He sees that he was lonely, so he creates woman. And so they are then amongst the garden and eventually they are by this tree. And we are told that they are then tempted by it, that the serpent comes in and says, look, it's beautiful. It's a good thing. It looks sweet to the thing. And it, it, what it'll provide for you is the wisdom and ability to, 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 wisdom for you to actually govern your own life. And what is the, they do? They go, oh, it looks good. So they eat of it. And in that moment, sin is entered into the world. And what that looks like from this point forward is sin is when we take wisdom and justice and mercy into our own hands. And oftentimes it's at the expense of someone or something else. And we know exactly what that feels like. Maybe when a boss chooses to take your idea and say it's theirs because it makes them look better than you. And so you stay in your place. That's called human sin. When someone says, I need a sexual desire and so I'm gonna take advantage of you, right? It's the expense of someone else. That's sin. Like the pain of human sin, when, we, when someone takes something that was not of theirs to make them feel better is broken. And that is when we go against God's will. That's not his desire for us. Our desire for us is to love one another, to sacrifice one another, to see others in a better light. But when we do the opposites of those things, we are sinning. The second one is, is human development, growing our faith and our understanding. Um, and we get this, right? If you've ever been to a gym, um, you go there to what? Become stronger. You start off with something light, but as you start pushing things harder, um, you get stronger, but it can cause pain and tension. I don't know about you guys, but there's been times when I've been really sore after being in the gym. I put myself in that position because I wanted to grow. I wanted to develop. I wanted to become stronger in an area. Now, Scripture tells us, or Jesus tells us in Scripture that uh, you who are um, evil fathers know how to good give goods. So sinful men know how to give good goods. How much more can the perfect father know how to give a perfect gift? And what that is declaring here is that there are times when God sees the best thing that can happen for you is to enter into a space that will help you grow and deepen in your faith in him. And the greatest example of that is in the book of Job. For those who don't know the story of Job, Job is, um, the story starts off with God in his throne room. And somehow the, the tempter, the Satan comes into that space and says, no one cares about you, God. And he goes, hey, what about my, bu my buddy Job? He's kind of cool. He likes me. I like him. And he goes, oh yeah, that's because you've made his life really easy. And God goes, you know what? Do anything you want to him. Just don't kill him. And for the next 40 plus chapters, that's exactly everything that Satan does. He does everything under the sun. It's brutal, some of the hardest things that we can face. And you would wonder, how does Job finish that? How does the book end? Well, it ends in verse 42, that Job has experienced God. He's seen him face to face. And he says these words in Job 42. 
I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. I have heard of you by my by the hearing of my ears, but now my eyes sees you. At the end of this experience, he says, I thought I knew of you, but now I know you. Now I know you. That experience helped him grow in immense ways. The other part of human development is when we make sacrifices on the behalf of someone we love. If you are a parent in this room, you know exactly what that means that you've put yourself in situations that will bring pain upon your life because you believe it's going to benefit those you care about most. We see this with Jesus walking into the garden. When Jesus entered into the garden, he knew that he was entering into that space that would cause him to suffer. It says that he actually was so stressed out that he had weeping wounds, that his, he started to sweat blood. And the reason he was putting himself in that space is that you and I would be able to be reconnected to the Father, that we could be in right standing with him once again. And he was willing to place himself in that because he looked upon us because of it. And so there are times when it comes to, to suffering that we will enter into because we recognize that it's going to help others grow. And so the reasons we see human suffering is first, God's world. The second is God's will. The third one is God's war. As the story continues in chapter three, we get to the fall of man. And so what the story is, is that God comes and becomes the judge. He stands before these three people who have done this evil deed and declares justice upon them. And he looks the first, he goes to the serpent and says this, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the fields. On the belly you shall go and the dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and their offspring. What this verse is declaring is that since that moment, there has been a war being waged between good and evil. Good and evil. Now, if you had turned on the news this past week, you would have seen what war looks like. It's devastating. When you see, you see rockets being launched from one place and hit another. And what is interesting about those rockets being hit is that they are targeting a specific building but the devastation impacts everything beyond the building, right? It doesn't just take out one thing, it takes out everything. So what happens when a leader is hit by a war, it also affects everything else around them. I mean, think about what happens when a businessman or a woman has corruption or evil. What happens to the business? It tends to crumble with them. Because war doesn't just affect one person, it affects everyone else around them too. And so some of the pain and suffering we'll experience is because of the war between good and evil. Now, what's interesting about the text that we read is that his blindness can fit into any one of those categories. Now we can make assumptions of which ones we think it best fits, but God doesn't Focus there. He gets his disciples to not look onto the why, but what he's going to do, which is what? He came to redeem all suffering. Jesus' declaration to us is this, that he has come so that suffering will come fully to an end. From the moment he entered into this world to the time that he entered into heaven, Jesus was waging war on pain and suffering. 
When he heals a person, what is he waging war against? Or their suffering. Their suffering. Their, the, that pain inside of them. Everything that he has done was in wage of war against the suffering we face because his promise to us was to come not to condemn it, but to, to, um, to uh, I'll just read how John says it because I'm just gonna butcher it as I just did. It says this way in John um, seven, the 317, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that he might be saved through it. This, this passage of scripture is telling us that his declaration was to come to wage war against suffering so he can save and redeem it. And as you look at the ways in which Jesus fights suffering, there's a couple things that will stand out. There are times when people will approach Jesus and say to him, I'm hurting or someone else is hurting. And he would say, your faith has, has brought, made you well, go and be healed. And they would walk away not doing a single thing. But here in this story, it's not what happens. It says that Jesus spat on the ground and made mud. That's disgusting. Let's all say it, it is. Like, right? Like no one wants that. And he starts rubbing his hands and his own spit. And then he wipes his, that man's face and says, go and clean yourself. And what we can see is sometimes God will simply just say, speak and you'll be healed. There's other times when God says, I want to partner with you and to redeem your suffering. And so that means that you're gonna have to take a step of faith and choose not to drink anymore. You're gonna have to choose to stop looking at those websites. You're gonna have to choose to cut your credit cards because of your spending habits. Because I will meet you there, but you have to do some work too. And it might be a little gross for you and a little painful for you, but I promise that if you enter into that space with me, you will experience freedom like this man has experienced freedom because that is his promise to us, that he has come not to condemn it, but to save it. He has come to redeem all suffering and his death and resurrection on the cross did exactly that. And if the story ended here, we'd be like, oh my gosh, praise God, this is amazing. But it doesn't, all right, it continued. And after this man walked through one of the most beautiful healings that we read in scripture, he walked straight into two of the most painful sufferings that we, that we experience as humans. First, the pain and suffering of corrupt leadership. This man had just been healed and the religious leaders of the time, instead of celebrating that a blind man is seen and praising God for it, they condemn him for it because of the day he had his healing. Think about the pain when it comes when something good has happened and someone is pushing you down because of that. Not only did he experience that, he experienced relational abandonment, but more specifically, family abandonment. Because when his parents were put on the trial, what did they say? I'm out, don't talk to me. I'm not here to get his back. He can deal with it on his own. Those are two extremely painful things. So what does that mean for us? It means that the reality is that we live in between the already and the not yet the already and the not yet. What scripture tells us is that we are saved, but we are in the process of being saved, that we have been redeemed, but we are in the process of being redeemed, that we live in this tension of already, this thing's gonna happen, but it hasn't fully happened yet. The best way that I can think about it is back before technology, you couldn't tweet 
I mean, X something, and, and it get news gets spread out to everyone. But when a peace treaty was signed, it would take months for it to then spread to all of the, the generals. And if you look back in history, some of the most grotesque battles have been fought after peace was declared. And that's heartbreaking. But that is the reality in which we live in that yes, peace was given on the cross. Suffering has come to an end, but until Jesus returns again to redeem all pain and suffering, there are still gonna be small battles that we experience in our life. But Revelations tells us this beautiful promise that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. No more mourning, no more pain, no more suffering for former things have passed away. What this declaration is saying is that when Jesus comes again, that it will all be put to an end. But we're not there yet. So what do we have to do? We need to live in the reality of what the Hebrews writer says in 11.1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not yet seen. What that means is that we have to believe that as God has consistently revealed how he has waged war on pain and suffering in your own personal life, in the lives of people around you, that that is a declaration that he has done it once so that he will then do it again. Because that is his promise to us. This past summer, my oldest daughter started really getting into the Chronicles of Narnia. Um, and there's all these books uh, based on it. And in the, in the first book, uh, the story is about a young boy who gets pulled into this space that hasn't been created yet um, that eventually turns into what is called Narnia. But in that process, he brings, upon, brings with him this evil witch. And as this beautiful, perfect world is being laid out, her evil is also being developed in it. And at one point, Aslan comes, who's the, the God figure, comes to the boy and says, you brought this into this place. You're gonna have to redeem it. And so he looks upon this young boy and says, you gotta go to get this fruit that I'm going to then plant into this garden that then will cast her away for thousands of years. And so he goes on this journey to get to that space and he gets this fruit. And when he's there, he meets the witch. And the witch says, this fruit will heal your mom who is dying. Like one of the major themes of this boy is suffering because his mother is suffering. He wants to see her live. And then he's toyed with the temptation, do I keep this for myself and return home to have to her to eat or do I be obedient and give the fruit to the lion? And he convinces to choose to give it to him, Aslan. So Aslan goes and presents this fruit and all these different things take place. And yet this boy is still suffering because of, he knows when he goes back home, his mother is dying. And eventually Aslan calls upon him and looks upon him and says, boy, come to me, what do you want? With tears and painted eyes, he can only look at the lion's feet. He says, my mother is dying. I want, you to, I want her to be healed. And the story says that it became so silent and so awkward that eventually the boy had to look at his eyes and he saw the lion's face and tears in, the, eye, in the, eye, the lion's eyes. And he says, in that moment, I recognized that he loved her more than I could ever love her. 
And he said to him, son, you can go now take the fruit because you're not doing it on your accord because I'm giving it to you. But note, it's only a remedy because she will eventually pass away. But I promise you there'll be a day and age when all of it will go away and there'll be no more pain and no more suffering. And that is true for us today. That Jesus looks upon your pain, your suffering, your hurts with tears in his eyes saying, I see what is happening and I promise you that I love you more than you can ever be loved and I want to redeem your story more than ever. But you gotta trust me to do it. Because God has declared that he is the living hope that all pain and all suffering will come to an end. And so let us look upon him. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your loving and merciful God. God, thank you that you have declared redemption over all pain and all suffering and that your death and resurrection on the cross has removed it all. And God, as we live in the tension between the already and the not yet, will you help us be mindful and look towards you, the author and perfecter of our faith, because you have come to redeem this world. Thank you, Jesus, that you have put an end to all pain and suffering. And when we experience it here and now, let us look towards you, because you are our living hope. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. Continue the conversation with us on social media. Never miss a message and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes.